all the visitors, thank you for coming. And I hope that today can inspire you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship with Jesus Christ gives meaning to all of life for every one of us. Without the relationship with Jesus Christ, life can be extremely frustrating. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61 to begin the message. One announcement as well. Um, Son Schrock uh, has applied for membership back in, I believe it was July, and will look to take her on as member, Lord willing, October 8th, so that would be in two weeks. There's something that the rela- a relationship with Jesus Christ needs to bring us as his children um, that I think too often we, we overlook it and it becomes humdrum. And we want to look at that this morning. I want to start off here in Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings upon, unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. You imagine the good news that's all contained in here. This, this is prophesying of Jesus. He's coming, and there's prison doors that are going to be open. There's captives that are going to be set free. There's a whole lot of rejoicing going on here. Verse 2, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. Now, how is God glorified? How are people called the trees of righteousness? It's by a silver, let's do this, we can obey, just do it, right? It's actually not. It has a lot to do with the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness. This word of rejoice uh, is just a little children's song. Rejoice in the Lord always. And yet, I wonder, as little children, do they have it down pat better than the big people who learn and who have understanding? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I was reading in Philippians chapter 4 for another message, and I read a little bit from Warren Wiersbe. Some of you have his commentary. Um, I believe I appreciate deeply two men uh, reading their works. One is John Piper, and another is Warren Wiersbe. And what I read from Warren Wiersbe kind of thrust me over into this uh, message that I'm desired to share with you today. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my dearly, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche that they might be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's addressing a situation that a few people are frustrated at each other. Maybe they couldn't pronounce each other's names and got frustrated. I don't know. <laughs> and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, 
And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We'll stop reading there for this morning. So here's a, a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Some of us didn't get the memo, right? That's the memo from, from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. Rejoice. Uh, you know, I find life really interesting. Working at the store, I meet a lot of retired people, and I say, oh, that must be the life. And they say, no, not really. Drives me crazy. Just staying at home, I had to find a job. I had to do something. You know, when is a convenient time to rejoice in the Lord and just be content and thankful and joyful in the opportunity you have to live right now? In youth, I remember what it was like to live as a youth, believe it or not. Youth is a stressful time. Do you agree? There's changes. There's big decisions coming up. There's disappointments. There's peer pressure. There's just there's stress. And you think, well, you know... When I get married, all oh, that stuff's behind me, right? And then I'll be able to live a life of you know joy. I won't be just mopey all the time and moody all the time. Then I'll be able to rejoice. And then you get married. And now you're raising children. You're trying to stand on decisions of establishing a, home, a godly home. And other Christians don't stand with you. And now there's, you know, how am I going to handle all this stress? And now you're working hard. And like we talked about in Sunday school, you're carrying the burden. Your dad isn't just forking over the money so you can live. You're carrying the burden of responsibility. Boy, it's a great time, isn't it? This is an easy time to rejoice because you're married. What more do you have to ask for? And now that you're married, you're thinking, oh, our house is so noisy for peace and quiet. Tranquility. Retirement is, is what we summarize that. You know, retired life, you've got to have it made. But you know what happens when you're retired? Your body doesn't work right anymore. And your mind doesn't work right anymore. And even though you think you have a perfect memory, nobody else agrees with you. <laughs> And so you're, you're an older person and you're thinking, oh, if I was a young person. Oh, you know, did we have it made? And then you talk about what's the good old days. 
That's D-A-Z-E. The good old days that you were in. Listen, when is it convenient for you and your calling in life to live rejoicing? Right now. If we don't take the opportunity today to rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to come. There's no convenient time. We have to learn, as he says here, in whatsoever state I am, young, old, halfway in between, whatsoever state, rich, poor, think if you have more money, you'll have more more to rejoice about. Rich, poor, wherever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And what did Isaiah say? Those that rejoice in the Lord, that have the garment of praise, are the trees of righteousness. Now, somehow we, we get this really twisted. And we think those who are resolute and stern looking and sober, uh, there's a tree. You know, they, they've never changed their mind for 150 years. And is that a tree of righteousness? Could be, if they're rejoicing. In every time frame of life, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be rejoicing and content. Joy doesn't have to do with our happy circumstances. What I really appreciate about this passage is Paul, while he's writing this to encourage these believers, is chained between two vile men. He's in prison. He's in a a guarded prison where, I mean, I like my privacy. And if I'm going to be chained to somebody, I want it to be my wife. I don't want two vile men to be pulling me around wherever I go. And yet, in this situation, you think you're chained to somebody difficult to work with, to live with, whatever? In this situation, Paul says, listen, the Christian person is to have a life, a heart that's rejoicing. Joy doesn't have to do with happy circumstances. It has to do with looking into the face of God and knowing He is all we'll ever need. And I also appreciate that Paul didn't start out, you don't read Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and it doesn't say, Paul, a servant of Christ to the church at Philippi, rejoice! It doesn't say that. Chapter 1 speaks of a devoted, single-minded service to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 2 speaks of submission and humility. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, be an example of embracing the cross. There's many enemies of the cross who profess Christ, but their, their, their God is their belly. They just do what their heart desires and what their belly desires. Press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then after these three things, a life devoted to Jesus Christ, submission and humility in our mindset, embracing the cross, then he comes to chapter 4 and says, Rejoice! Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ leading our way. Now, I think there's one thief of joy and rejoicing that's been busy He looked like he was busy. And I think we need to send him packing. 
That thief's name is worry. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What is worry? Worry is the thief of our joy. Worry means literally to be pulled in different direction. I, I like the way Warren explained it. He said, our, our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us in another direction. And what's happening? We're being pulled apart. That's worry. You're being pulled apart. The old English root of the word worry meant to strangle. To strangle. Uh, if worry gets a hold of you, if worry gets in your mind, literally it will squeeze the life out of you. It will strangle you. Now, it's not enough to go to somebody. If I know one of these young men are, are worried about something, and just go up and say, Rejoice! Get happy! Let's do this! And you know what they're thinking. Because you've thought that. Yeah, right. What's the antidote for worry? I believe it's right here in this, in this chapter. Verse 7, the antidote for worry is a secure mind. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God shall keep. And that word keep is to guard. Like a garrison of soldiers is guarding around her. That's that word keep. The peace of God shall keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. When you have a secure mind, the peace of God guards you. Verse 9, the peace of God will guide you. The peace of God shall be with you. So how do we conquer worry? I I really believe in a quick summary, it is we need to have God's peace guarding us and God's peace guiding us. If we're willing to step out of the peace of God and just do things our own way, we've got a lot to worry about. We've got plenty to worry about. We don't have much to rejoice in. But when we're embracing the peace of God and that peace of God is guarding us and guiding us, we have so much to rejoice in we can't even count it all up. There's three things here in Philippians 4 that we want to look at more intently. And that is, try to keep in continuation here, how do we keep the gift of God's peace? How do we keep this ability to rejoice? And there's three things here. This is known as the peace chapter, Philippians chapter 4. Number one is right praying. Number two is right thinking. And number three is right living. How do we keep the gift of God's peace? Uh, young people, how do you know that you can, even in difficult circumstances, know that you can live in the peace of God and allow His peace to guard you and to guide you? You need to be involved in these three things. And not just involved, you need to embrace them. Right praying, right thinking, and right living. If praying in our life isn't right, if the thought process or thinking isn't right according to Scripture, if we're living sneaky, it's easy for any one of us to do. Living sneaky. Doing things that we know aren't right and we wouldn't want anybody else to see. Thinking things we know aren't right, but we don't want anyone else to see. If we're not involved in right living, there's no way we're going to be embracing and and having the peace of God in our heart. We'll become a person of worry. Any pleasure is simply temporary. 
Now, what I found really intriguing as I studied this is Philippians chapter 4 speaks of, it's, it's the passage for the peace of God. Right praying, right thinking, right living. Now, if you would flip, and we'll do this at the end, Lord willing, if you would flip to James 4, that's the war passage. From whence comes war and fightings among you. Why aren't you getting along? Well, it's because I disagree with him. And he thinks, no, you're not, you know why your wars are coming out from among churches and from us at times? It covers the same three things in James 4. Wrong praying, wrong thinking, wrong living. Those three things aren't real in my life and I'm causing war rather than peace in the body of Christ. These three things are very important. Right praying, number one. Verse 6, Be careful for nothing or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Paul did not just say here you need to pray about it. He used three words, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer is a solemn statement made in recognition of an object of worship. That's the word prayer. When someone comes to prayer, it means they have recognized a greater being than themselves, an object of worship greater than themselves, and they are calling upon this object of worship. That's in a general or generic sense. As we come to prayer, prayer here for the believer means recognizing God the Father is above all and to be reverenced and worshipped. It's... You know, we can get into habit of praying of repetitious words. We, we can lead, guide, direct us, food, clothes, and shelter. You know, we, we just, we know what to rattle off and now you said a prayer. A prayer is when you in your heart come in a, what we would say, a worshipful state where you recognize God the Father and He is above all that I know and I come to worship Him because He's head of all. That's where right praying begins with. Reverence and adoration. Now this is the second step. is supplication. Matthew chapter 7. Look at this verse. Jesus is speaking. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. How many of you actually believe that? I'm not here to put you on the spot. It says, unequivocally, ask and you shall receive. Yeah, but no. Stop. Stop the yeah, but stop the balancing act and get so busy balancing that you you never get back to what he actually said. Ask and you shall receive. He says, seek me. Seek and ye shall find. Well, what if I was born in Syria, didn't have the upbringing to know what we know about the Bible, and how would I ever find Jesus if I was born in Syria or, or some place in Africa? You know, there's one way. Seek. That's all, all that person needs to do is seek Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, and you will find. And right here in our setting, We can know everything there is about the Word of God. We can know everything there is about living right and doing right. But if we, right here, 
are not seeking Jesus Christ and knowing Him personally, we're not going to find Him. No matter how good we've been instructed in His ways, we'll never find Him. This is unequivocally across the board. We must be seeking Him in order to find Him. And everyone who seeks, finds. Should Jesus have maybe backed that statement off? I mean, if He would come to you today and say, look, you just ask, you got it. That's a pretty strong statement. Maybe the next verse will back that off a little bit. Verse 8. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Is that, is that your faith? Is that, is that what you go on? Everyone that asks, receives. We, we live in a, a Christian society that, that has statements like this. The greatest thing prayer changes is us. And I'm sure that's true in a lot of ways. But don't ignore what Jesus said. Jesus is saying, you, you, you don't just change you. Ask and you'll receive. Well, maybe Matthew was took too much Tylenol or something and didn't get this written down right. Can I read from you from Luke? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. That's what you live by, I would hope. Or else we come to John, and this is the sobering part as I study this. John chapter 16, Jesus speaking to the disciples, and He said, In that day ye shall ask Me nothing. There's, there's no faith to grab a hold of this ask, and ye shall receive. He says, In that day ye shall ask Me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in My name, He will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive. Why is that? That your joy might be full. Well, that really needs balance though. Before you run off doing a balancing act, answer this question. Does my faith agree with the statement, ask and you shall receive? Everyone who seeks, finds. There's no exception. There's nowhere where we can say, well, God wasn't fair because uh, you had opportunity. Everyone has opportunity to seek. Surely there's something truthful. Surely there's something great to be worshipped. Surely there's a Lord. Supplication. Everyone who seeks, finds. So, these are the things of rejoicing. You, you, want, you want to get somebody fired up? Uh, go to them and say, have you had any answered prayer? Let me tell you. If they're living right here, ask and you shall receive. I, I think people will have at least a bit of a bigger smile than what we normally carry. Ask and you shall receive. And then the third step here, right praying. 
Number one is coming with a heart full of worship. That's prayer. Supplication is ask and you shall receive. The third step here is thanksgiving. Now, Linwood, I don't want to pick on you, but a few years ago you did something in our prayer circle that I never forgot. We get back there in the kitchen and we're ready to pray and Linwood says, anybody have a prayer list from a month ago? And um, I did. He said, well, if you don't, he'll read his off. Get out your prayer list from last month and let's talk about what has happened. You know, you remember, Linwood, all the list was checked off. Well, that might have happened that way anyway. Then why? Don't don't claim faith and somehow luck of the draw down the road. Either we're a person of faith and realize God's saying, ask and ye shall receive. Why? That your joy might be full. And then Linwood said, you know, it's time to give thanks. Well, we came to prayer meeting. Like, shouldn't we be praying? For... It's time to give thanks. I cringe. I've seen this too frequently where missionaries send out a prayer circle, um, urgent prayer request, if I can get it said right. People are going to court for their testimony or people are being persecuted for Jesus and we need to pray because their court date is coming up or, their, or this situation is coming to a climax on this day. Pray on this day. Fast on this day. And that day comes and goes and you never hear anything. What happened? Um, then more than ever, we should be saying, Thank the Lord Jesus Christ. He's delivered. Thank you for your prayers. This is an answer to prayer and we want to thank God and His people for this testimony. And there, there's, it's more of just like the day comes and goes and weeks, and months, and even years. You know, whatever happened to... Well, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we got that update. I'm saying, God, help us. Well, you know, the things that we can pick apart with a missionary doing that is usually because we're pretty good at doing that. And it bugs us because we see it in others and it's real in us. When God answers your prayer, I hope there's no, no prayer group too large or too small that you can't say, thank the Lord for answered prayer. <clears throat> Do you realize that testimony... When someone's involved in right praying, you realize the rejoicing. There's adoration. There's supplication. Ask and you shall receive. And there's thanksgiving. The joy that that person brings to a group, to a family, is you can't measure that. And it's more than just a thing of going to somebody and say, be happy. It's time to start being joyful here. When we get this right, this rejoicing will be part of our life. I need to hurry, but I was meditating on Daniel. These three words, exact words, are found in Daniel. When that law was passed, and you would think, Daniel, how are you going to be happy now? They they passed the law against you and your God. You can't pray to Him. 
if any time would have been a convenient time to rejoice, it's not now. But Daniel went up when he heard the law was signed, went to his room, and it says he prayed and he gave thanks and he made supplication. Those three things right there. Right praying is so important to a person who's rejoicing. Next one is right thinking. Right thinking, we live in the peace of God. I like Isaiah 26. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Right thinking. Philippians 4.8 Whatsoever is true. And I want you to think about these verses and think about the picture they are of Jesus Christ. This, this is not just random words that he came up with. These are the words that would depict Jesus Christ himself. And as we think on Jesus, we think on these things that are just like him. Ephesians, sorry, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things are the exact description of who Jesus is and was and will always be. When we're meditating on these types of things, means we are, we are looking at Jesus Himself because these are the attributes from Him. Does anybody struggle with base thoughts? You don't have to raise your hand. Thoughts that don't line up here? Satan, uh, if there's one thing that he can do is take situations, take personal struggles, and plant all kinds of strange thoughts, base thoughts, to try to distract us from looking to Jesus Christ and who He is. He is a description of these things. The mind's focus is so important. Most of you are pretty negative. Right? I won't ask you if you agree with that or not. And you know, that comes from the person saying that is being negative. No, usually we don't. We can't process that. Uh, we, can, we can think about how other people are so negative and we don't recognize by me saying that I'm being negative. Negativity is such a habit. It is an incredible habit that wants to just take right over your mind. Uh, let me ask you something. Why don't you like your job? You know, people. One, two, three, four. You want more? It's easy. Why do you like your job? Well, Who's being a struggle in the church? Well, you know what? I, there's some things going on that I just... and We got our list already. Hey, who has really blessed you and, and caused you to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, negative thinking. But then we stand up and say, I'd like to say I have peace with God, my fellow man. Peace with God comes... Not from negative thinking. It, it comes from right thinking. 
For some, if someone's struggling in church, that's all they think about. That's all they ask about. They even can come to the ministry. Have you heard? What are you going to do? How about blessing somebody? How about say, I'm going to bless you. Like it or not, I'm going to bless you. Hopefully you like it. It's so easy to allow our minds to become just but incapable. Let me put it this way. All of our minds are so close to going off the deep end. I wonder if we really understand it. Becoming so negative, there's no point of return. We just, we got the answer. And bring your mind back to Philippians 4, 8. And whatsoever things are pure, good, good report, virtuous. Meditate on those things. I was talking with a man from Tampa, Florida on Thursday. had a really enjoyable talk. Some of the girls, I guess, in the back didn't enjoy the conversation that they had with him quite as much. But I found it really interesting. Uh, A young man, probably in his, I would guess, late 20s or 30s. I said, Tampa, Florida, and you're still standing? And he said, can I tell you something about hurricanes? I said, I'm all ears. He said, hurricanes are more hype than reality. And I said, now wait a minute. There's pictures that don't look so great. And he said, and when you have water going over the street in Hayward, I could take a picture here that doesn't look so great, depending on how I take it and how I promote it. And I could hype Hayward as a flood state of Wisconsin or the flood city of Wisconsin. All the how you hype it. Is there... Is there some danger? No question. Yes, there's danger. But he said, listen, this is how they hype it. This man's a commercial jet pilot. He says, this is what they say. Winds up to 200 miles an hour. And he said, when they say that, it creates pandemonium. Do you know what 200 mile an hour winds will do? A tornado is usually averaged about 100 miles an hour, spinning around. And that will move cars. That'll, that'll move houses. That'll move shingles. So when you say 200 mile an hour winds, uh, you're not going to have a tree against a house because neither one are going to be there. You know what I mean? It, it's really bad. But he said, let me tell you how they get this thing of up to 200 mile an hour winds. They get in their pilot. They get the pilot. They get in their jet. And they fly up 30,000 feet above sea level where I fly and the winds are 200 mile an hour. Not down where the people are, but up there. And we say, this storm has up to 200 mile an hour winds. And he said, the people in Florida just are in a panic when they hear that. If we walk into a store like, like we have up in Hayward, he said, every shelf will be clean, not partially clean. If you go to a grocery store and look for groceries, not just milk or anything, every grocery is off the shelf. He said, those shelves are licked clean. He said, it's, it's great for the economy. He said, my dad uh, sells septic tanks. 
normally $700, $800, a septic tank, $900, depending on the size. He said when, that, when news of a hurricane comes, he puts out a TV ad. Hurricane shelters. Now, it's just a septic tank, but <laughs> it's a hurricane shelter. $3,500 to $4,500. He said they will be sold in one day. All inventory of his septic tanks, boom. Guaranteed. He said he's never had one more. He said it just wipes them out. People panic. You know, society makes a mountain out of a molehill. And understand, there's still a molehill there. We didn't say, well, there never was a molehill. There is a molehill there. But why are you making a mountain out of it? Because the devil is masterful at playing with minds, making imaginations, making small situations, giant obstacles, obstacles that are out of control. And you know what? We in our mind, recognize it or not, are in a state of pandemonium. God is in control. What is going to happen? And what, what are they, what's going to happen to them if they don't get a clue? And we just, our minds are pandemonium. And he calls us back to this right thinking. How are you going to live rejoicing if you're living in pandemonium? How's this all going to work out? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are just? If I have concerns about the church. I'm glad you do. I think all of us do. But that doesn't change us from the command of right thinking. Or else we're not godly people to help. Pure, honest, just, of good report. I've seen so many vibrant testimonies of rejoicing when people hold fast to right thinking even when nothing seems to make sense. A life of joy. Right praying, right thinking. And the last one is right living. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, that takes a lot to learn and receive and hear and see something in somebody. That takes a lot to be able to understand and, and to connect all the dots of what they're trying to say and the principles they're trying to say. But no matter how many dots we have connected, there's nothing of substance without the word do. You can have all the learning and hearing and receiving, but unless there's the, that little word do, it doesn't do anything. Do the standards of God's Word. They need to be done, not just memorized or taught. And I, I believe, and excuse me if, you, if your mind goes to pandemonium when I make this next statement. Now you're ready, right? We must be doing the commands of God and not excusing ourselves even by making an application. You say, well, what in the world are you trying to say? I have seen people excuse the commands of God even by making an application. I have chatted with a friend some time ago, and this man will greet others with a holy kiss. <clears throat> so there's the application, right? Brotherly love. But he lives in a state that he's so upset that others are not as spiritual as him or don't think like him that he can't find anywhere to go to church. 
But he's making the application of brotherly love. There's no application that excuses following God's command. Love one another. There's no application you can ever do to, to say, well, that will take care of that. Never happen. Now, we as a brotherhood have agreed that cape dress should be worn by everyone. So, we make an application. Does that excuse someone who wants to be immodest to wear a short skirt, to wear a tight dress? Remember, the applications, following something like that, does not excuse following God's command. It, it, it always has, they can actually get in the way if we're not careful. Well, hey, I'm doing this. But is, is it following what God is asking of us? Man, it's, it's so easy to come out a, a winner on business deals. It's so easy to... Well, you know, the guy agreed. Okay, but is it what God is asking of you in that situation to go above and beyond, to be a blessing to them? It's so easy to somehow make an application that excuses myself from God's command. It's not new. It's not new to Mennonites. And it affects every person in every group. It affected the Pharisees. They say, hey, we, we just say uh, to our parents, you know, you're really blessed to have me as your child. And, and now, now you're excused. You don't have to take care of them when they're older because you're the blessing. And you need to go out and do God's service. You, don't, you shouldn't have to look after your parents at home. And Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you're, you're excusing God's commands by your own application. That's not right. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I'm not saying let's not make application. Um, he speaks of that in the chapter before of those whose God is their belly. They can't hold anything past their passions. It, it, it all has to be about them. We need to be people of application, but we can't allow application to excuse disobeying God's commands in our lives. How am I going to be a person of rejoicing? I'm running out of time. Right praying, right thinking, right living. If you would turn to James chapter 4, you don't need to turn there because we're out of time. You will see there from whence come wars and fightings among you. Ye, now listen, listen. This is where it comes. Wrong praying. Ye ask and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. They, don't, they lost the power of faith in asking ye shall receive. But then the next verse even goes farther. Ye ask the things you do ask for and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it on your lust. Wrong praying. Wrong thinking. James 4, verse 8. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded people. You can say what's right. You can make others think you're thinking what's right. But in your mind, stuff's going on that has nothing to do with Christianity. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Wrong thinking and then wrong living. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There's no middle ground to right living. Either you're living right and you're letting the world behind you. Middle ground means you're on the wrong ground. 
Those three things, wrong praying, wrong thinking, wrong living. And you know what? It created a war zone. It created a war zone in their families, in their churches, in their fellowships. They were living in a war zone. That decision is so easy for any one of us to create a war zone. It's it's right at the tip of our minds. It's so easy to become involved because nobody knows. Prayer is a private thing. Um, I appreciate what Alan McFadding, I believe his name is, he said, most people, if you see someone who is, let let me get this right, he says, if an imposter is never good at right praying, there's no spotlight. There's no, no spotlight in right praying. That's where you go alone with God as He's commanded. And you're, you're in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's no spotlight there. An imposter, an imposter of Christianity is very poor at that. Right praying is so important. Right thinking and right living. I don't want to create a war zone here at Northwoods. Every one of us sitting here is able to do that. I want people to come and say, I've never been in a place where they were so happy. What were they happy about? Well, let me tell you. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Lord, I thank you for your word. Life can become so confusing. Lord, I thank you for your word that shows us we can rejoice because Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. We can be redeemed. We can wash, be washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we can stand pure before a holy God. And in this, Lord, help us to rejoice. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to live together as, as brethren and sisters in Christ. I pray, Lord, that all of us would be doing our part in our private lives. Not create a war zone. But, Lord, that we would be rejoicing and bringing joy in the life of our fellow believers. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Todd, for the message. I was struck this morning with how connected those three things are, the praying and the thinking and the living. If I'm not thinking in a godly way, I'm not going to be living in a godly way and I won't be in the frame of mind to pray in a godly way. It's They're all so connected. Does anyone have a testimony or something to share? Right. Thank you all for coming today. You're welcome back this evening at 6.30 for the service here. Let's stand for closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you at the close of this service. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and his faithfulness this morning. We pray that you will be with us as we go from here, that you would bless our day, help us to be a Rejoicing people, that would be a blessing to those around us. We pray that our worship will have been acceptable to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.